Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. The La Crosse Public Library Archives presents Dark Lacrosse Stories, a series in collaboration with the La Crosse Tribune, featuring the seedier side of La Crosse, Wisconsin's history. These true stories are reflections of their time and place in history. The intent is not to diminish the human suffering that may have resulted from these events, but to bring light to ways in which people in the past experienced life. The city of La Crosse and the locations where these stories took place occupy part of a vast network of the ancestral lands of the Ho-Chunk, and we thank our Ho-Chunk community members and their ancestors for their stewardship of this area's land and history. John Weber had been chief of police in La Crosse for five years when, in 1913, he came face-to-face with one of the most famous criminals in the history of the Midwest. On the night of April 8th, we picked up this shabby drunk who was wandering downtown and put him in jail to sober up. Then I got a call from Henry Muth, who owns a saloon on Mormon Cooley Road. He said he had seen an ad in the paper about some clothes that had been stolen from a boarding house on King Street. Muth said a stranger had traded those clothes to him in exchange for some drinks. The description of the stranger matched the drunk we have in jail. <laughs> Wait, you hear the best part. Turns out this drunk guy just might be the biggest crook we've ever had in our little Huskow, Pat Crow. He made news all over the country in 1900 when he kidnapped the son of Omaha's biggest meatpacker, Edward Cudahy. Pat Crow was born in Iowa in 1869 to strict Irish Catholic parents. Crow went to Omaha, Nebraska to attend Creighton College. He soon dropped out and started working in the Cudahy meatpacking plant. When I was 18, a relative got me off the factory floor by using his influence to get me a job as manager of the Cudahy retail store. That's where it all started. I began taking money out of the till. At first it was 50 cents at a time, and then it became $50 at a time. Once I had got the habit of easy money, it was easy money that I wanted. At the age of 20, Pat Crow became an armed robber targeting brothels. Crow was caught after robbing the famous Chicago madam, Carrie Watson. Sentenced to six years in Joliet State Prison, he was pardoned after serving just 17 months. Crow went right back to cracking safes, robbing trains, and robbing jewelry stores in Iowa, Missouri, Nebraska, and Colorado. He killed a woman in a brothel and shot three policemen in Chicago. Arrested in 1894, he escaped, shot a deputy sheriff, and resumed robbing trains. While escaping custody in Denver, Crow killed a police detective. Crow was arrested again the following year. He pled guilty to train robbery in Missouri and served three years in the state prison. After his release, he returned to Omaha, and even all that time served did not deter him from his life of crime. About 1900, a friend delivered a message to me from the Pinkerton Detective Agency. They said they would chase me to the ends of the earth if I kept robbing from their clients. But if I left their trains and jewelry stores alone, they would leave me alone. The thing I knew best was robbery. I had no honest trade after getting out of prison, and I sure wasn't going back to keep working at the meat packing plant. 
If I can't rob trains and jewelry stores, what's left for me? I decided kidnapping was a good bet. I can't say I invented kidnapping, but I was one of the early practitioners in this country. Hell, there weren't even laws against kidnapping back then. In Omaha, I knew who had big money to pay ransom. Edward Cudahy, my former employer. I hatched a plan with Jim Callahan, a railroad conductor, to kidnap Cudahy's son, Edward Jr. We rented a vacant house in Omaha and bought a horse and buggy. We started watching the Cudahy house and noticed the kid always came out for a walk in the evening. On the evening of December 18, 1900, Crow and Callahan kidnapped 17-year-old Edward Cudahy Jr. outside of his home. The abductors pretended they were detectives who were taking Cudahy to the police station. When Cudahy got into their buggy, he was gagged and a mask was put over his face. After driving in various directions to confuse him, the kidnappers took him to their rented house. While Callahan guarded the boy, Crow went back to the Cudahy house and tossed a ransom note into the yard. It demanded payment in gold coins of $25,000 the following night, nearly the equivalent of $900,000 today, or the kidnappers would put out the boy's eyes with acid. We weren't really going to put the acid in the kid's eyes, but it provided an extra poke for the old man to cough up the cash. I watched him drop it off beside the road outside of town, just as I had told him to. Just over 24 hours after we took him, we let the kid walk back to his house. The brazen kidnapping was news that made headlines all over the country. By the next day, because of a tip from a citizen, Omaha police already suspected Pat Crow was involved in the crime. Edward Cudahy Sr. offered a $25,000 reward for the capture of the kidnappers. Because of the enormous sum paid in ransom and now being offered in reward in this particular case, what we today call the crime of kidnapping was put in a fresh spotlight. There was no law prohibiting kidnapping, so Nebraska authorities had to resort to larceny or theft of the ransom money as the best charge available. All around the country, wealthy parents began considering the protection of their families from this new nefarious criminal behavior. The lucrative success experienced by Crow and Callahan is said to have influenced later kidnappings such as those of the Lindbergh baby and Marion Parker. In the days following the kidnapping and ransom payment, Pat Crow was nowhere to be found. James Callahan, though, was arrested in February 1901 after his lavish spending in Omaha saloons and witness statements pointed to him as a suspect. Callahan was stupid for throwing money around like that, and he got caught. But he was smart by not admitting anything. In April of 1901, a jury found him not guilty of all charges. Even his own attorneys couldn't believe he got off. I had to keep moving because the cops were always after me. After almost five years on the run, I was tired of it. I was in Butte, Montana, and gave up my confession to the newspaper in October of 1905. Two detectives came from Omaha to escort me back there to stand trial. When our train pulled into the station at Omaha, there were 10,000 people there just to see me. Some of them even cheered. I guess they saw me as sort of a Robin Hood character. Take from the rich and give to the poor. I did the first part all right, but never got around to the second part. Crow went on trial in February 1906 for the Cudahy kidnapping. Introduced as evidence was a letter Crow had written to his hometown priest admitting his guilt. In the letter, written two years before the trial, Crow stated, I am guilty of the Cudahy affair. 
After 17 hours of deliberations and 29 ballots, the jury returned a verdict of not guilty. I thought the judge was going to fall out of his chair. He cleared the courtroom and chewed out the jurors. The good people of Omaha were outraged. One thing that had worked in my favor was the unpopularity of old man Cudahy. He made lots of money off the labor of common people in his meatpacking plants. He even brought in strike breakers rather than pay better wages. Boys always go for trial by jury. In 1906, Crow had a book published with two co-authors entitled Pat Crow, His Story, Confession, and Reformation. He became an evangelist for prison reform and gave speeches around the country. He even went to Cleveland to help search for a kidnapped boy. Despite his alleged reformation, in February 1913, Crow was arrested for the 25th time since the Cudahy kidnapping on a charge of drunkenness and not paying for a meal in a restaurant in Minneapolis. Once he served his 90-day sentence, Crow made his way to La Crosse. In the local jail for drunkenness and possible theft of clothes, he was positively identified as the Omaha kidnapper who had made headlines all over the country years earlier. The La Crosse Tribune called Crow, quote, probably the most notorious hobo in the country. Crow is very near the end of his career. Drink and hard living brought him to a pitiable condition. He will be sent out of town, unquote. Police Chief Weber had his hands full. We brought Crow before a county judge here on April 11th. He denied stealing anything and claimed he was too drunk to even know what he was doing. He didn't have any money for bail, so he stayed in jail until his trial. He told the Tribune that he is forever through with the life of crime and that hereafter he intends to stick to the straight and narrow path. But privately, Crow told me that he'd like to make one more big score before going straight for good. His dream had been to kidnap John D. Rockefeller for a huge ransom. He described to me the layout of Rockefeller's home and said he knew where every guard was. The courtroom for his trial here in La Crosse was packed with people hoping to see Crow testify. Crow changed his plea to guilty of theft, but even the district attorney didn't think Crow knew what he was doing that day. The judge sentenced Crow to 30 days in La Crosse County Jail. When he was released, Crow told me he was off on a secret mission to Washington, D.C., where Secretary of State William Jennings Bryan would give him a bunch of money. The next night, he was back in our jail after drinking all afternoon and evening. Out again, his attorneys paid for first-class fare on the train to St. Paul. Crow said he was never coming back to La Crosse. As far as I know, he never did. Crow told a newspaper reporter in 1919 that he had committed no crimes since the Cudahy kidnapping in 1900 and was devoting his life to prison reform to repay society for the harm he had caused. Crow spent his final years in New York City, where he liked to stop by the local police precinct to talk shop with the cops. Once claiming to have netted over $700,000 from his crimes, Crow died destitute and alone in 1938 at the age of 79. Among the few things he left behind were a pile of tattered yellowed newspaper clippings about his life of crime and a bit part in lacrosse history. And now I'd like to welcome in Jeff Rand, retired lacrosse public library adult services librarian who did some of the initial research for this story. The Cudahy family established meatpacking industries in both Omaha and Milwaukee. Edward Cudahy Sr., the father of the kidnapped teenager in the story, was the co-founder of the Cudahy Packing Company in Omaha, while his brother Patrick established what would later become known as Patrick Cudahy Incorporated, south of Milwaukee, in the suburb that now bears the Cudahy name. Edward Cudahy Jr. 
the teenager kidnapped in Omaha in 1900, became the president of the Omaha Cudahy Meatpacking Empire in 1926. Well before that, Pat Crow's life of crime, which had gained him temporary riches and notoriety, had devolved into the rootless existence of a drifter, working occasional menial jobs, periods of evangelical zeal, punctuated by arrests for minor crimes, all under the haze of alcoholism. Crow's brief sojourn in La Crosse was just one step along the way. Was Pat Crow sincere in his renunciation of the criminal life, especially after his insinuation to Chief John Weber that he had thoughts of kidnapping John D. Rockefeller? Looking back on his stories, can we believe he was ever telling the truth? The criminal justice reforms that Crow championed in the early 1900s would be considered progressive even today. Crow proposed that first offenders be sent to industrial schools to learn a trade and receive military training. Then, he said, the government should help them get jobs and become useful citizens. Would such a system have steered Pat Crow away from a criminal career? A newspaper reporter wrote in 1919, I fear he makes but a poor and miserable reformer. Whatever he may do for the good of society can never interest it so much as what he did against it. John Weber, on the other hand, served and protected the community as a member of the La Crosse Police Department for 40 years. He became police chief in 1907 and remained in that position for 31 years until he died after being hospitalized for six months due to an illness in early 1939. Thanks for listening. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.